0: This is Ken Forster, Executive Director of Momenta Partners and Momenta Ventures. Welcome to our Digital Leadership Podcast. In this series of conversations, we capture insights from the best and brightest minds in digital industry. They're executives, entrepreneurs, advisors, and other thought leaders. What they have in common is like our team at Momenta, they are deep industry practitioners. We hope you find these podcasts informative, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day and welcome to episode 99 of our digital leadership podcast, produced for and by industrial practitioners. Today, it's my great pleasure to introduce Evangelos Samoudis. Evangelos is a recognized expert on next generation mobility, artificial intelligence, big data and corporate innovation. He has been working in Silicon Valley for 30 years as a venture investor, senior advisor to global corporates and governments, entrepreneur, corporate executive and technologist. He's co-founder and managing director of Synapse Partners, a firm that invests in early stage startups developing enterprise software and AI applications. And he advises global corporations on AI. Evangelos is the author of The Big Data Opportunity in Our Driverless Future, and the recently published Transportation Transformation. Evangelos is a member of the advisory boards for Caltech, Brandeis International School of Business, the US Department of Transportation's Connected Cities for Smart Mobility Center, and Securing America's Future Energy. He earned a PhD in computer science from Brandeis University and a BS Bachelor of Science in electrical engineering from Caltech. Evangelos, welcome to our Digital Leadership podcast series. Kim, okay, thank you very much for the invitation. It's uh, great to be here. And it's great to have you. As I recall, you and I first met, I want to say it was 2002 in New York City when you were working for Apex Partners. Uh, so it has been long overdue to feature you on our podcast. I, I have to give a special call out uh, to Ohad Ziara, who mentioned your book in our podcast 97 just two weeks ago, which prompted this interview. So either way, it was a uh, good timing to finally have you uh, featured on this. Uh, th- thank you again. Thank you. Yeah. So let's start with your professional journey. Tell us a bit about your background and how it has informed your views of what we call digital industry.
1: Uh, so I came uh, from Greece in uh, oh, over 40 years ago to uh, to study uh, here in the United States. Um, and uh, my uh, I was, I would say, lucky enough to start getting involved with artificial intelligence in 1982. Um and uh, by 85 we had our uh, the previous AI spring and uh, so I was in the midst of it. Uh, came to Silicon Valley in uh, 1990, uh, spent the first 10 years as a um, uh, entrepreneur and, and corporate executive. I started two companies which I ended up uh, selling, building and selling. And then, uh, for the past twenty years, um, I've been uh, a venture investor, as you said, initially with Apex, uh, partner there, and uh, later on with Trident Capital, and more recently uh, with uh, my own firm, uh, Synapse Partners. And the the common thread on on this journey um, has been the uh, the work on on data and what we now uh, call big data. And the the use of um, artificial intelligence and other techniques to exploit that data. So whether it was as a technologist, as an entrepreneur, as an executive, or as an investor, um, data and, and data exploitation, data management has
0: um, has been uh, guiding me through. So it was interesting as um, as I was looking at uh, your investment history. As an investor ourselves, you know, we first thing we usually do is pull out pitch book and look at the history of any individual in their organizations. And you have really a, a long and impressive track record of. Um, Investments and exits, I count a couple here, you know, composite software uh, which was acquired by Cisco. I I actually got a chance to work with Jim Green for quite a while at Cisco and really came to appreciate. uh, He's a brilliant individual as well, but Confluent Software acquired by Oracle, Exalate acquired by Nielsen, and then more recently, Understand AI, X15 Software and Wagon Analytics. To what do you attribute your ability to consistently back such winners? uh you're you're very kind
1: first of all your characterization so again all of these um uh companies were were date had had some influence were data related um and uh uh, my investment style has always been thesis driven uh, has always been data driven so uh i not only my team and i not only uh, strive to understand the, the the particular a particular company that may be a, an investment candidate but also the its competitors and the overall ecosystem um, we where, where they will where such companies will uh, will work in um in uh, we've always strived to understand the the industry um, and and um, uh, particularly with Synapse, uh, this has become much more important in our, in our work. Uh, we've, uh, both myself and, and my teams have, have always worked to have close relationships with um, corporations that could be users of the uh, technologies that we were funding. And then because um, in many of these cases... The companies we were investing in were early stage. You know, you mentioned Composite, uh, you mentioned uh, Confluent, um, uh, you mentioned you know companies like Understand.ai and X15. Uh, the the teams were were particularly uh, were particularly important. So we wanted to see people who who had the drive to, to succeed, who, who knew uh, that they will need to work uh, through, uh, through thick and thin, as they say, and that success is not like a, a straight line. So we wanted to, to make sure that they, they had that, that drive. And uh, of course, both uh, that they could, they could bring together uh, strong teams, but also they will accept our help in uh, uh, in building these these strong teams, because as we we're seeing even even these days, uh, because of the pandemic and the the troubles that many startups are going through, uh, the ones that are able to move forward, albeit uh, slower, are the ones that have the strong teams. So uh, that has always been uh, so data, strong teams, understanding of the of the space very deeply uh, through the use of data um have been the the uh,
0: the, the, the tenants of our uh, of our investment work Mm-hmm. Yeah, we uh, we have very similar uh, uh, thesis orientation and uh, and very similar criteria in that regard. And so the the you know the deep understanding of the industry, you need that DNA, and you need to see that in the founders. But uh, the difference between a <clears throat> certainly a startup that is going to succeed, not comes down to always the team and the, and the ability of the team to operate as you say through uh, thick and thin. Tell me a bit about. What inspired you to found Synapse Partners, and and maybe you go a little deeper on your unique investment thesis because I I find it uh, pretty relevant. Um, uh,
1: the so with uh, after 15 years of, of working at uh, Apex and and Trident, um, and given what was happening, particularly here in Silicon Valley around the 2014-2015 uh, timeframe, I. Um, uh, first of all, I started thinking that the world did not need yet another uh, venture, early stage venture investor. So when my partner Matt and I uh, started thinking about what what we wanted to do next, how we wanted to work together, um, what we felt was that um, in order to go deep into, into a topic and, and take advantage of an opportunity. You, you need to understand it from, from various perspectives. And just being a, a, a venture investor doesn't allow you to do that. Venture investors, for the most part, tend to be uh, a mile wide, at an inch uh, deep. So uh, we decided to focus on uh, enterprise AI applications because we felt that AI in its multiple incarnations and i should say that ai is not only machine learning uh, even though in this time around uh, data-driven machine learning plays a much more important role than it did back in the in the 80s when we had the previous um, ai spring so we felt that ai would be very transformative uh, very much along the lines of what uh, software as a service. The software as a service model has been for enterprise software, um, and so we we thought it will have a long, long runway. Um, the The second aspect of of uh, the second tenant of our of our work has been that again, um, every good VC has a, um, uh, has a, a strong Rolodex, has a strong network of uh, of contacts in the industries where they they like to invest. Um, we felt that this is not enough in this, um, in this time. So um, we set off to start uh, developing what we today, what we call a corporate partner network, um, corporations from three industries, uh, automotive, and by extension, transportation, uh, financial services, and telco. And, and with the companies that have joined or want to join our uh, corporate partner network, we, um, we, we commit that we will spend a significant amount of time uh, with them, with, with senior executives in their, in their corporation. So by, by and large, on the average, we spend a, a day a month with each of these uh, corporate partners. Um, and, and that's, as I said, for, for, a venture, for a traditional venture investor, that's unheard of. And, and in fact, even for when we started talking to LPs, we we found that they were um, very uh, very skeptical about the uh, our approach. So, the, the commitment that we're asking our corporate partners to make is that they would give us access to um, three individuals to begin with one or three, or sometimes more than uh, two or a subset of those three the, the CEO, the chief strategy officer, and the chief digital officer. And because we think that these three individuals in the right companies and again we have to do a lot of um, filtering of of who we're going to accept as a corporate partner in our in our network we feel that these individuals both have uh, and should have a particular vision on on what are strategic problems that the their corporations need to address um, as well as uh, how what will be the horizon for solving these problems and um, what we try to, to work with them on is to, to try to see how startups can help in addressing this problem. So in the course of these interactions, what we end up doing a lot of times is um, educating these this executives, the executives that we work with, eh, about which problems are um could be solved by startups and and by extension, being uh, good ideas to be venture backed. And which problems will require a different solution? For example, uh, developing a, an internal team or or develop uh, uh, going to a to a management consulting uh, organization to to help them uh, solve the problem. So there is a lot of there's a lot of work that is going on and a lot of advisory that is going on and education that is going on. Um, and we feel in the process there is this constant value exchange between us as Synapse, our portfolio companies, our startup portfolio companies, and our corporate partners. So we have established now this, um, um, this flywheel or the, this mega network, if you will, that, um, uh, that uh, creates value for, for uh, each of its members. And then the third tenant of our founding, of creating uh, Synapse was that uh, we wanted to do uh, more than ever uh, data driven investing. So when when we had, when I started doing data driven early stage investing back at Apex days, uh, you know, 2000, 2001. Um, there wasn't a lot of data available about startups, right? So now um, uh, there's a lot more data available. There are companies uh, that are uh, collecting uh, such data uh, religiously, if you will. Um, so uh, we started building in, um, we started building a database where we track uh, thousands in this time, in this case, uh, of early stage software companies that develop AI applications and we track um, their their personnel, their founding teams, their investors. So th- there's a lot of data that, uh, that we're making available. And, and because of that, because of this emphasis, um, uh, Synapse has three types of, of people uh, on staff. We have obviously investment professionals, we have uh, business analysts that are working with our for our corporate partners, and then we have uh, software engineers and data scientists that are working not only, uh, as I said, in building, maintaining, and expanding and analyzing that, that database, but also a lot of times helping our corporate partners and our startups uh, take advantage of certain uh, technologies. So um, it's a it's a much more complex undertaking. Uh, uh, But so far, after about four years doing it, uh, both because of the exits that we have seen to date, uh, but also because of the feedback, uh, very positive feedback that we are receiving from both portfolio companies and corporate partners, uh, we think we're on the right track on building something very differentiated.
0: Yeah, I'd say your uh, your, uh, track record speaks for itself in that regard. And uh, the model of um, uh, really kind of data manager analytics, uh, the networks themselves, the uh, corporate affiliation, um, and I'd say, you know, a very diverse team um, makes a lot of sense. We have um, a similar pattern at Momenta, but obviously with a a different thesis on it as well. And I can tell you, it it does work well um, having, you know, all of those pieces together. So beautifully done. Let's talk a bit about your other passion. Sometimes I think uh, this area of uh, the future of mobility feels a little orthogonal, but I think the name of your first book, uh, the, the Big Data Opportunity in Our Driverless Future, really ties together well what you said a few minutes ago about automotive industry and uh, and certainly uh, enterprise AI. What You published that book in 2017. What were some of the key themes you observed in that book at the time?
1: So, at that time, I wanted to, to bring forward um, uh, three, three points. Uh, first and foremost, that um, data is going to be very important in next generation mobility. Uh, and it's going to be important not only uh, in, in making vehicles move autonomously or semi-autonomously, but it's going to take to be important for every other aspect of mobility. Understanding the environment in the in the vehicle in the vehicle's cabin, and understanding the, the passengers or or uh, behavior or or the um, uh, how goods are being transported. Um, the the second aspect was I wanted to, to start uh, teasing apart that this notion of driverless mobility. So driverless mobility, and particularly back in 2017, everybody was associating it with autonomous vehicles. And autonomous vehicles, in fact, uh, are a very important component of that, but driverless mobility is also mo- about mobility services. In other words, it's it's about all of the modalities that we can use and the technologies that we can use so that uh, I as a consumer or as the shipper of goods do not have to to physically drive the, the vehicle. Um, the, the The final point that the, uh, the the book tried to to bring out was that, uh, OEMs, you know, automakers, um, were were not um, particularly ready for tackling the opportunities that data and AI were providing to them in the context of next generation mobility. They were not ready culturally, but more importantly, they were not ready from a from from an innovation model. Uh, perspective in terms of how they collaborated with startups, how they utilize what startups had to offer, both in terms of technologies, but also in terms of practices. And um, I remember uh, right after the, the book came out, um, we had a, a number of uh, conversations with some of our uh, OEM, uh, Automaker, uh, uh, corporate partners on, on how to, uh, to to take advantage and change, uh, how to take advantage of the opportunities and, and change some of their behaviors, bring the, the right people uh, on board, uh, create the right organizational uh, structures. Um, with a new book, I mean, if I were to make a a bridge between what I wrote in in 2017 and, and what I just published, with a new book I feel that the 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 set of problems that uh, the these three constituencies uh, that I identify, namely uh, automakers, mobility services companies, and, and more recently cities, uh, the the set of problems becomes even even larger. So the the automakers um, not only have to deal with the with the data and AI aspect, which uh, was the point of the first book, but they have to deal with a with a variety of other uh, challenges uh, that
0: um, uh, new new mobility uh,
1: brings uh, brings forward.
0: Yeah, you beat me to the punch on that one. I was going to ask about you know kind of what's what was the inspiration for the last book, but you know what did you see in it as well? Perhaps uh, taking a, a slightly different angle on this as we're recording this. Um, I, I know Evangelist you're in California. They're going back into lockdown. I'm in Switzerland, and our borders are are open, but. Uh, either way, um, COVID-19 has created a, a a real impact, if you will. The World Economic Forum actually uses the term the Great Reset when referring to this impact. What do you see as the impact of this reset on the future of transportation?
1: So um, we have already been uh, talking, even before the, uh, uh, this became a pandemic, uh, about the future of work. Uh, the future of urbanization. I mean, these are two mega trends, if you will, that definitely impact uh, transportation. Um, I think the, um, uh, what the pandemic has brought forward is more of, of that thinking, in other words. Um, i wrote a i wrote a piece in my blog uh, i call it from from 30 miles to 30 steps um and and it would play on words because of, of the fact that since um, late february we've been sequestered here and we've been working from home right and 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 that is causing corporations to think a lot about Telecommuting and how to to deal with uh, with a work environment. We have uh, we work with corporations in Asia. Uh, they're establishing certain practices. We work with corporations in Europe. Uh, they're they're looking at it slightly in a slightly different way. So the, the future of work and the future of urbanization are going to to play a, a big role here. Uh, that is going to cause I think cities to. Um, to rethink how they approach certain um, uh, certain parts of their of their lives. So, um, the, the the future. I mean, if we if we're starting to see uh, move away from the center of cities, you know, the so the deurbanization movement, then city designs will have to be impacted. Um, the uh, if right now uh, around the world, and particularly here in the U.S. Um, the, the public transportation systems are starting to suffer because people do not want to to get into a, a public transportation, modali- transportation modality unless they absolutely have to. Uh, that means that the the revenues from from uh, that the cities derive uh, from public transportation uh, are decreasing significantly as people do not drive because they work from home. Uh, parking fees are down. Um, uh, fees relating to uh, uh, traffic infractions uh, are are down, so traffic tickets are down. So, so because of that, cities will need to um, rethink how they allocate their resources. What what they what parts of their transportation infrastructure they start to charge for, um, and and then going further further along. Um, we're starting to see a significant increase in e-commerce as people uh, buy more over the internet and they have it delivered to their uh, uh, place of choice, whether it is residence or or some some other place. Uh, I think this practice... Is starting now to to get ingrained into um, into people's daily existence, daily life, and I think that will have an impact on um, on transportation. And I think finally, what what COVID has allowed us to do, um, even in a, even if it is in a in a spotty way, uh, they allowed us to understand the the impact that we're having on the environment. And, uh, because, you know, is, is traffic reduced around the world? We saw what. But- the, how the pollution change, whether it is environmental pollution, noise pollution, and all of that. So, so that is causing citizens to to rethink about what um, what they expect from from the uh, the players that are working on transportation, whether it is the automakers that are producing uh, the vehicles, whether whether it is. Um, the uh, cities that provide uh, public transportation or the mobility services companies that, that provide uh, services using either their own vehicles or, or other people's um, vehicles. Uh, I should finally say that, you know, obviously we see a, an increase in uh, private ownership, uh, privately owned vehicles. Um, we will have to see whether this is temporary, uh, obviously, people who can, who can afford to either buy a new vehicle or they already have vehicles, they're starting to, to use them more because they're trying to avoid uh, public transportation. Um, we'll have to see how, uh, whether this is gonna be short-lived uh, or as i hope it will be frankly uh, or or not because if it's not short lived again i think that will create very different kind of strains into our uh, transportation infrastructures and into the problems that cities have to contend with
0: I love the uh, title, 30 Miles to 30 Steps, and uh, does describe well um, the um, the challenges, if you will, or let's say the focus. Um, let's go back to your point between your two books again. Both of them talked quite a bit about the auto industry and OEMs particular. There's been... A lot of discussion about the Elon effect, and in some sense, how a radically different and often disruptive approach, you know, could impact business such as electrical automobiles, transportation, think tunnels, right, and uh, and space flight. Um, do you think this effect continues to be needed to support the future of transportation, or have the traditional players, the if you the the incumbents, the OEMs, the automobile manufacturers, in the space finally caught up now? So,
1: uh, in the book I talk uh, in, the, in the new book, uh, Transportation Transformation, um, I talk a lot about um, how uh, these three constituencies uh, OEMs or automakers, uh, mobility services companies that provide ride hailing, micro mobility, these type of services, as well as cities. Um, will need to first transform and then once they transform, they need to start collaborating uh, very uh, in, intensely and, and, and over over a long period in order if we are to achieve the um, what's possible with with next generation mobility. And I devote a couple of chapters actually on on what uh, um, incumbent automakers, Ah, uh, both will have to do in terms of these transformations, but also how they will be stratified, because I I don't think that uh, everybody will be able to to achieve the the same the same position. Um, if you were to look at uh, what you call the 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 Elon effect or Tesla effect, um, I, I think that there are um, uh, there are essentially. Four big categories in my mind that uh, Tesla has 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 been teaching the the industry. Uh, the first one is that is the technology. So the uh, the Tesla vehicles are a high tech. Uh, vehicles and and the incumbents have been focusing on the over-the-air updates. So, if you look at where a lot of emphasis has been placed more recently, is in uh, more of the incumbent automakers having the ability to update the uh, the vehicle software over-the-air. Um, we're seeing uh, emphasis, some emphasis on. Um, uh, uh, providing certain levels of autonomous uh, or o- of automated driving, not autonomous. So uh, you, you you may have you and your listeners may have uh, heard the terms uh, level two, level two plus, level two plus plus, level three. You know these are all. Um, uh, levels of driving automations that are driving automation that are below the fully autonomous uh, capability that we, we're seeing with uh, vehicles such as Waymo's, or, or even uh, GM's, uh, Cruise and, and, and a few others. Um, so so there's the technology aspect. The, the second aspect, which I think is very important that uh, Tesla brought forward, which is the business model aspect. I mean, you, you're able to uh, go Get a, a, a vehicle w- without having to go through a dealer, uh, and, and that's a that's an important step. And I think in in the United States and uh, the European Union, it will be very difficult for me, if not impossible, in the foreseeable future, to to see how uh, that can be um, uh, replicated. The, um, the 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 next aspect uh, uh, which is related actually to uh, to, to the, uh, the the business model is is that of personalization. I, I can go as a, as a Tesla um, as a Tesla prospective buyer. I can go and customize how I want my my car to to look and and, and uh, be equipped with, and then even when I start. Um, Uh, when I start the when I take possession of that vehicle I can personalize it in a lot different and more intensive ways than I can with any other uh, any other vehicle uh, that's coming from incumbent automakers and finally I think again building one on top of the other because of what we of what I mentioned before I think Tesla has been able to successfully break the development cycle so today we have essentially three or four different uh, development cycles that are going on in the vehicle. We have the, the development cycle of the chassis of the cabin of the electronics of the of the vehicle. These are all different um, uh, different development cycles and uh, so so far incumbent OEMs have been, um, have been following this very regimented uh, cycle uh, that is, you know, uh, a major uh, update every seven years and a minor update every every three years. Well, guess what? By the time that you take possession of of your vehicle, most of the electronics are already outdated, right? And in order to be able to keep up with what's going on in the software space in the consumer electronics space you really need to break apart that, that cycle and I talk about that in, in this in the newer uh, in the new book um, and, and the fact that you you really need to, to think about um, maybe your your software cycle becomes very much like we see in consumer uh, software and enterprise software maybe becomes a six month update or, or a 12month update. Whereas your your chassis, maybe it's it's a 12-year update, right? I mean, it's it's very different because little may be changing at, at the chassis uh, level at the, the the so-called skateboard level uh, now with electric vehicles. Uh, compared to to what is changing in the um, in in the electronics and then you know in the case of electric vehicles you have advances in the battery technology so so that may have a different again update cycle so so to me the uh but kind of to summarize the the Tesla's innovations as, as a company go beyond just technology the technology enables many of them but it's not only the technology in the vehicle uh, and, and i think that even uh, for, even if some OEMs incumbent uh, OEMs uh, are able to come close to um, uh, providing similar technology uh, capabilities as as, the, as we see today in Tesla vehicles. I think there are other aspects of the uh, of Tesla's innovations that will be uh, both harder to achieve by incumbent automakers, uh, but also will take uh, will certainly take a lot longer.
0: It sounds like a great book to read. It certainly is going to be on my uh, my reading list. Uh, Transportation transformation. Love the love the title as well. So, um, kind of in closing, as, as digital industry investors and knowing that we have a very similar thesis, we always like to ask your recommendations on interesting startups. Um, who might you uh, plug as the ones to watch in uh, you know in your area? um so I think that
1: um, everybody every investor thinks that their children are are the uh, the best looking and and above average as uh, the uh, uh, as the radio program used to say <laughs> um, but uh, so in terms of uh, our own portfolio and again based on on everything on the messages that I have been we've been this discussion that we've been having uh, today, uh, I, I like to point on the on the automotive side, uh, Divergent 3D and Arenovo uh, as two companies that uh, we've been investors. We've been fortunate enough to be investors for uh, from the beginning, and uh, we invested early on as we were starting Synapse and, and the uh, great teams and uh, great innovations and the companies and the market is is rewarding them. Um, uh, more recent uh, investments, uh, again, and in, outside the automotive uh, space, uh, we, we've invested uh, in a company, an Israeli company called Namogu, um, that, uh, that is doing uh, uh, particularly important work, again, at the intersection of e-commerce and, and uh, security. Um, Datatron, uh, that is uh, dealing with the aspect of um, how do i take now the product of a data scientist that that model that has been tested and and, uh, and validated and push it out to to production and and in the process govern its execution and that's a problem that uh, we been we've been spending so much time as a community on the on helping the data scientist and providing better tools for the uh, for the data scientist that uh, we we feel in Synapse, we felt that we, we have ignored what happens once the, that model is ready and now it needs to be pushed out to production uh, because there's a lot of work that needs to be done there in order to have the consistency of performance, both performance in terms of computational performance, but also decision-making performance. So we feel that Datatron is making um, uh, a
0: very very important steps uh, in, that, uh, in that area. Great, four great recommendations. And um, in closing, can you provide any recommendations of books and or resources that inspire you beyond the two that you wrote?
1: (laughs) So I I, um am. Uh, I tend to, to read very broadly uh, and uh, I think you know uh, somebody asked me the other day um, how, how do how do we stay updated on the on the developments on the new mobility uh, space and and I say you know my team and I um, my research team and I have have been uh, have been reading through a lot of blogs, a lot of papers both technical papers and and um, industry papers. But um, but I wanted to. I mean, again, um, uh, for for me, as as I try to create these perspectives to to help both our startups, our our corporate partners, and our um, and obviously the readers of my of of my books and other writing, I I tend to to look to look around and say more broadly. So I'll have off the top of my mind, I'll have four um, four. Recommendations for comments. the The, the first book that comes to mind is a, a book by Colin Woodward called *American Nations*, uh, which I, I found particularly poignant given what's happening in this country uh, these days. Uh, and and where and for me, kind of like this 40, 40 year journey, it was a particularly revelatory uh, book. Um, we talked earlier about the future of work the future of urbanization so I thought uh, Thomas Piketty's capital is is also a great inspiration I, I don't think I don't agree with everything he says but um, uh, very much like several years ago Kissinger's on China uh, it, it gets you to think uh, about uh, new systems and, and new approaches which I, I think we we need to um, we need these days, and um, in terms of AI, I mean, again, a lot of uh, very much like it happened in the eighties. We, we see a lot of uh, p- publicity now in AI, a lot of, uh, of books out and and articles. Uh, but I I, um, I found that um, Harari's Homo Deus and uh, Domingos' The Master Algorithm. I I tend to recommend these two books because I think are particularly well written. And uh, even though they've been out now for uh, for a few years, uh, they they remain very relevant to to what uh, both to the opportunities but also the challenges that uh, that we are facing around this technology. And again, it goes back to the point I said about automate. You know, future of work. To me, future of work is not only about whether we will be working from home or not or telecommuting. But also, there is this race about how, what and how much we automate, and and I think that there will be um, uh, there will be some interesting uh, I think interesting evolutions, interesting developments that um, we will see over the next few years. Uh, the the pandemic may be the, uh, the, the 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 may provide the fuel uh, or the spark maybe. Um, but uh, I think we have some some very important issues to think about work, a pandemic or not pandemic, and they they have, a lot of them are around uh, both how we want to live, but also around automation uh, and the opportunities that AI provides us.
0: Thank you so much. So this has been Evangelos Samoudis, Managing Director of Synapse Partners, Entrepreneur, Investor, Author, and Digital Thought Leader. Evangelos, thank you for a fascinating interview. Thank you very much again for having me. Absolutely. And to our listening audience, thank you. And please join us next week for the uh, long-expected episode 100 of our Digital Industry Leadership Podcast Series. Thank you and have a great day. You've been listening to the Momenta Digital Leadership Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the discussions. And as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Please check our website at momenta.one for archive versions of prior podcasts, webinars, as well as resources to help with your digital industry journey. Thank you for listening.